structure of how we think about real estate or how we live in real estate has changed. Hello, everybody. This is another episode of the Wealthy Podcast. And today we'll be chatting to Peter Esho and Lewis Heaton. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Dom. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. So for all of you out there, some of you are probably listening to this or watching this at home. There's been a massive shift in the property market as a consequence of all of us working from home. Well, not all of us, a lot of us working from home. And if you're not, you certainly know someone that is. This has had a tremendous impact on people's life. It has changed property prices. It's also changed the way that people are engaging with the city and the way that local areas are changing as well. So the team and I want to talk about working from home, what impacts this has made on the property market, and then how we see it changing going into the future. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Gentlemen, how is working from home? How have you found the experience so far? We'll start with uh, Louis. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it can be a refreshing change. I think that the the working from home scene, uh, you get used to it over time. It, it comes with the, um, I guess it comes with the word, doesn't it? Working from home, you're permanently home, you know, getting that escape. I'm actually in the office today, as you guys can see, uh, COVID safe, obviously, and I'm the only person from the wealthy team in the office signed and checked in. Um, but in, in saying that, you know, getting a, getting a break today, being able to come to the office once a week is a, is a big help for me. But, uh, you know, I think I see the, I think I see the world, uh, or, or Australia in particular working from home, their attitude towards it probably have changed. And there's been a bit of a shift in gear over the, probably the past one or two weeks, everyone's getting used to it. And, and a lot of companies now probably don't foresee, uh, you know, 90% of their staff going back to work if, you know, if they've remained effective, uh, during the this first period of lockdown. So I take that you've enjoyed the experience a bit, but you but also being locked up full time isn't greatest, and you do want to head into the office sometimes. Yeah, but if you have a um, if you have a very uh, a very very basic working from home setup like I do, it, it's nice to sit in a uh, a well supported chair and have um, bright white lights around you instead of you know sort of a makeshift desk and a lounge but to say the least i think that um i think people are enjoying it i certainly am for the for the time um but i do miss the faces and, and the conversations we have in the office day to day which is a good point peter's got a completely different experience to you you're in a house full of a bunch of fellas and he's sharing a house with wonderful young ladies a wife and then a son so mate how's your work from home experience been yeah, for us, it's work from home and homeschool at the same time. So it's very, very challenging, uh, but we're embracing it and we're making the most out of it. Um, I think for me, it's not so much the work that's been the most challenging, but as a parent, it's been keeping up with the schoolwork. We've got, we have uh, three young children that are all, all in primary school and they're all at the point where they're not completely autonomous to go and do their own work. So you have to sit there and invest uh, in their schooling and the teachers that are at school are probably not as equipped uh, to deal. So everyone's sort of scrambling and figuring it out, um, but we're getting used to it. And that's that's uh, one of the most interesting things um, about human nature is that we learn to adapt, uh, we learn to pivot and we learn to um, take any adversity as an opportunity mm -hmm. to get stronger. And I think this is evolving from work from home to remote work, mm. to you know, work during a walk, work during 
whatever it is, the whole nature of the workday has changed. And I think this is a really, really good opportunity to change our lifestyle and how we actually approach work. Well, you and I came out early, early in the COVID. When, when, when COVID first came out, you and I came out with some predictions. We assumed that we would see price rises in regional markets because people would take this advent of COVID and work from home and, hey, I want to get out of the congestion, the hustle and bustle of the city and move out. And that happened. The, you know, the, the, the market recovery came a lot from owner-occupiers and the regional centers. It just flew the property prices. Um, and we also anticipated that there would be some shifts in the property world, the way that people, you know, local communities would change because more people at home meant that they're going less into the CBD, but there'd be retail activation in different municipalities. Pete, what type of changes have you seen um, in this work from home environment in COVID and, and, and how have you seen that sort of manifest? Well, I think the impact on real estate is really, really profound because your home has now changed from a place where you sleep uh, for eight hours a day and in the morning and, and or in the evening to a place that you're spending a lot more time in. And so you need to make sure that it's comfortable. You have enough space. I'm talking, you know, doing this podcast and I've got um, the kids in the background. They're all quiet because they know dad's doing a podcast. And so, you know, this whole dynamic of how we use the space and how we allocate space and, you know, doing meetings like this, virtual meetings, you need to make sure that there's enough natural light, but there isn't, you know, too much echo in the room and things like that. So the whole structure of how we think about real estate or how we live in real estate has changed. Uh, for owner occupiers and also for tenants, and that impacts landlords. And so, real estate, residential real estate as an asset class, is going through that discovery in the same way that the internet changed the way we thought about commercial real estate, industrial real estate, um, you know, office real estate, and all these things. Uh, this pandemic is changing the way we think about uh, residential real estate for that very nature, but it's also impacting office it's impacting industrial you know office has been hit because you no longer need these big big offices for everybody to come into but you need more logistic space you need more distribution space because everybody's shopping online and data centers are growing and everything else so like the whole composition of how we thought about real estate assets is completely changing and and I completely agree with you. I, I you and I often say this that this work from home, it feels like when internet came about, people kind of weren't sure how to take it. Will it stick? Is it a phase? Will it go away? But it feels like this working from home environment is a systemic change that will last and it will have an impact in many people's lives. Now, one thing that we have seen, Louis, is that even the developers that we're working with, even the people that we talk to on a daily basis are, are accommodating for that by just putting in different amenity and considerations for the home and house and building. What kind of changes have you seen developers make into the buildings that have been a surprise or even maybe, maybe not a surprise, but just things that you've seen? I think more they've <clears throat> from a functionality standpoint, you know, uh, wider spaces, more open plan living, uh, open open floor plans. Maybe even uh, we've seen a uh, me personally, I've seen a real big shift in, in, in the investor and both the owner occupier sense of the market is that getting two bedrooms, one one is an office, three beds, one is an office, uh, almost sinking into our own minds that working from home is going to stay or it has the potential to stay, uh, definitely for the for the foreseeable future, but. 
I think developers have have made a shift in gear that uh, to attract tenants and buyers that they need amenity uh, within a building. They need they need a gym. They need a they need a sauna. They need a pool. It's not a need, but they need it. They need it to be attractive. We look at Melbourne. They're, they're in a, a lockdown for ninety seven days straight. Uh, I believe it was. You know, you're looking at something like uh, a quarter of the year stuck inside, two quarters of the year stuck inside. But when you when you think about uh, when you think about what they what they couldn't do and what they had access to if they were living in an apartment building, but that access to really functional amenity, uh, I think their value uh, uh, not as a not not from a price perspective, but then from their personal value from a tenant perspective, uh, really had a. Uh, had a big movement and I think developers have seen that and, and new development plans are accounting for that now. Peter's nodding his head vigorously, everybody. So what what do you hear in there that was that you particularly thought was interesting, Pete? Developers are salespeople. Mm. At the end of the day, they're taking a block of real estate and they're repositioning it and they're trying to sell you uh, why you should buy this asset. And so any good salesperson will read the market will be aware of what the market wants. Great salespeople actually give the market what they want and, and the client's happy. You know, Take Apple, for example. They foresaw the importance of uh, portable music into a portable device, into a portable um, you know, computer that's going to tra- transform your, wife, uh, your life. And that's why they are the most valuable company in the world today. So they're very good at sales. And real estate developers look through and they see the way we're changing our lives. They see co-working for example having a co-working space in a building is more important than a than an outdated gym which you're probably not going to use or a swimming pool that you're probably not going to share with your neighbors particularly if you're in a big bigger complex and so the ability for me to go into a building um, as a landlord for me to invest in a building that has a co-working space means i'm likely to attract somebody who's a professional is working from home has children that are in school, and it's probably going to pay more rent to have that co-working space so that they can live in their apartment and work in that space. So it's it's uh, it's a great read of the market from the smart developers. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm seeing that as well. We're seeing developers even put uh, creche programs, you know, people that can live, work, and play. Kids can stay in there. They're trying to make the building a, you know, vertical living, really bringing it to the forefront of people's minds. And as Lou was saying, it's open plans, it's more space. We're seeing people, some developers deviating away from the standard, you know, 50 square meter, one bedroom, 75 square meter, two bedroom to much larger designs. And then with houses, uh, we're seeing urban sprawl like never before. I want to just read out some statistics to you all. Now, uh, the New South Wales Innovation and Productivity Council put out a study or did a bunch of research at the end of last year, basically asking people about their work from home experience. And it's more to get to the point or get to the heart at is working from home here to stay and in what kind of capacity. So some stats that I found pretty interesting is that 45% want to work from home three days or more. So, I mean, that's that makes sense to me. Everyone that I'm talking to that is working from home really does love that balance. Another two specific statistics was, was that um, it could actually remain 69% higher than pre-pandemic levels. And this is being actually being reinforced by some data that came from the RBA. They did a recent poll and they saw that businesses are cutting their footprint by 25% and the overall workforce is shifting to accommodate for about 30% more of their workforce 
working from home. Now, the last thing that I want to say, and this is really to bring it all home, 67% of people uh, expect to work from home now. So when you've got all of this data, I mean, what does that mean to you? Or do, do you see work from home staying or, or, or what kind of larger implications does this all mean to you? I think that <clears throat> I, I, this is, uh, I had this thought in, in my mind the other day. It, it's very, I think this data is very indicative of when it was, when it was taken. I think working from home for an individual uh, and their satisfaction works like a swing set. So if we, if we, if we start at the bottom of the swing set, you know, uh, either forward or back we go, we're going to see a really dramatic rise in increase means that people go, oh, working from home is great. I don't have to travel to the office anymore. I can lay in my bed all day. I can do this. I think this wears off over a period of time and and the people start to get sick of it and we come back down into this into this negative phase of get me back into the office until we really start to swing back into this uh, into the back phase of we start to get um, used to it. We start to buy new office equipment. And if we can see that, you know, our, our $150 expenditure from, from Officeworks or, you know, from, from Ikea for a new desk and a chair is going to be uh, a, a meanwhile investment for the, you know, for the next two years, then you, you can almost, there's a comfortability factor. But to answer your question, Dom, I think that right now we're we're coming off. Sydney's in the in their uh, what's this seventh week of our lockdown or something like that, and people working from home have are uh, coming in the in in the return phase of we're getting sick of it, or uh, a lot of people are getting sick of it. They want to return to the office. People are getting annoying in their household. We we can we can't we want to get out of lockdown. But over the next coming weeks, and, and if and if businesses really find a home in. Or, or find a way that they can work from home in the in the future for the long term. I think uh, worker satisfaction and also worker uh, worker ability and workers' performance will start to increase. So uh, I'm not sure if, if my ramble then even even made sense. But to what to my <laughs> point of view, I think that working from home can stay if if we have a, a set timeline that it will stay. I think working from home is terrible if you sit in limbo because you don't know if you're going back to the office. You don't know if I need to, you know, make working from home comfortable or normal. But if we can say, okay, we're going to be working home from the next eight months, you know, mentally as a, as a human being, you can prepare for it, get used to it, and then find your strides. What about you, Pete? I mean, 70% of people nearly saying that they expect to start working from home and businesses saying, uh, oh, making their footprint 30% smaller, these are some bigger implications telling me that this is going to be systemic um, and there's going to be a hell of a lot of people that don't want to go back. So what's it telling you? I mean, do you see working from home as a thing that's here to stay, even if it's a couple of days a week? To me, it's not working from home. To me, working from home is what we've done during the pandemic. But to me, it's more remote work. And so remote work means I can work from home or I can work from an office or I can work from a cafe or I can pick up and and take my partner, my family or myself to another city and work from there. I can become a digital nomad and it doesn't impact my work. It's not an awkward conversation for me to have with my team or for me to have with my boss or for me to have with anybody. It is a normal thing now for me to work remotely and going into the to an office uh, five days a week, nine to five for the sake of it, just because it's it's a habit 
is going to become something as ridiculous as sending a letter. Uh, you know, nobody thought when the internet came out, everybody thought, oh, great, this is a great way for us to send emails to each other and for us to download illegal music and to chat with our friends. But today, you know, 20 years or 25 years after the first wave of the internet, it's completely changed our lives. And it makes sense to me that work, uh, which hasn't really been disrupted, the pandemic was the precursor for this disruption. And so with, with that flexibility also comes challenges, the challenges of meeting responsibilities, the challenges of not overworking. There's a temptation to overwork now because previously you'd leave work at work and you'd come home and you'd have a social life different to a work life. So just as the way the internet had all these issues and caused all this disruption, I think remote work, we're, we're in the early stages of it. Yeah, I agree. Remote work is an interesting way to think about it. It has had its benefits and uh, detractions. You know, I've got friends that are extroverted, so they need to see people and they want to get out. So I see, and there are other people that, you know, Charlotte could doesn't like distraction. Just let me potter away, do what I need to do. But the, the negative side effect is people are working longer. They are getting work-life balance, but then the temptation is to work longer as well. I think that you're right. This is an advent of something brand new and there are wider implications to how it could impact the property market. There was a recent study done by uh, Victoria University and some of the things that they highlighted is that it could lead to uh, less congestion on the roads. So if this is a systemic thing, people can work from home or go into the office and treat it like a place that they can use or a utility, as you say, Pete. Um, you're going to see more people, retail workers and stuff, businesses start to flourish in, in areas outside of the major, uh, outside of the CBD. Um, you're going to see also more activity in these little areas. So city fringe is going to become a lot more attractive rather than being right inside the mix because you can get everything that you need there. Um, and then, yeah, the increased urban sprawl. So I think that real estate that are on the fringes, it will start to increase in price as well. Maybe they're suggesting here that, you know, people are happy to commute a longer period of time, less days a week. So if it's two, three, four days, maybe you can, you know, you're happy to commute an hour and a half or an hour and 20 minutes. So this is all stuff that I find very, very interesting. Is there anything that I've missed in there or that the study has sort of brought up that you think would be that our listeners should be paying attention to with this whole new remote working environment? So, Don, one of the things I wrote about this week is I wrote about this topic on my Substack and just the way that remote work is changing residential real estate, commercial, office real estate, industrial, but also around the sustainability theme because sustainability is no longer this thing that we can, it's no longer an afterthought. A lot of big institutional investors around the world like BlackRock, um, like PIMCO, some of the biggest investors in the world are actually now basing their investments on sustainability. And so the real estate developers that we talk about get their money from someone. They get equity and they get investment from someone. And those someones, these big firms are now starting to take the environmental, social and governance issues very important. And so while on an, on an initial impression, it seems like working from home is great because we're not commuting as much, there's also what you're doing is you're taking the carbon footprint from centralized cities to individual homes. And so when I run my air conditioner, I'm running it 
with two people working in the house as opposed to an office building that runs it for 3,000 people. Um, and so the carbon footprint could actually increase uh, as a repercussion from working from home. And I think there's an opportunity to help firms and to help businesses and to help individuals balance that, um, balance that expectation. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. And back to the real estate point, I think amenity is really important. So I think what, what I've seen from my friends, I'm, 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 I'm actually very comfortable because I chose to live just as, just as you guys have in a part of Sydney that I can open my door, walk outside, and I've got restaurants and cafes and parks for my children and beaches I can walk to. But people who have gone out to the suburbs and bought new estates, the house might be nice. But if you're going to have to drive to the shops and the shops are closed, you lose that touch, you lose that community essence. And so I think there's a little bit of that coming into the real estate market too. It's all very well to escape, but you need to make sure that you can also escape in a place that has connectability and has different type. Now, not everybody lives the same life I do. You know, I can't, that's just one little anecdote but I'm starting to see the repercussions of the suburbs versus the city, for example. Mm. I think the the holiday towns have been a, um, a hot topic of conversation as well. I think, you know, we, we're getting, I know personally, uh, I'm getting asked a lot more, you know, what about um, your, your, your not regional, but coastal holiday towns, maybe hour, two hours out of a, out of a, a major CBD north of Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Central Coast here in Sydney, you know, f- further up into sort of that, the, the pocket uh, just above Newcastle areas. And I think um, I will say one thing. I think that it, it's, it, it seems like a hot topic now, but it, it's a, um, and, and we've spoken about this before, but it's, it's most certainly not a sustainable um, in investment idea that's uh, or investment property um, that you know you can see some or you can foresee some real growth over the next sort of five to six years. Mm. Look point. at Byron. Look at Byron, for example. Byron's a perfect example. Last year, everybody was running away from Sydney, going to Byron. Today, as we record this, Byron's had had in the middle of a pandemic and lockdowns. And you're having the opposite. So you need a place that doesn't have vulnerability. Mm. You know, areas, the areas that we choose to invest in, not necessarily live in, you can live wherever you want. But an area that you choose to invest in needs to have enough sustainability to weather the good times and the Mm. bad times. It's not just about the good times, like the mining towns that Dom and I have seen over the past decade, that when it's boom, it's extreme. But when it's bad, it's a disaster. So you need to balance out the short-term trend with the vulnerabilities. Yeah, exactly right. As Louis was saying with the pendulum swinging, I think you know everyone can go for that knee-jerk reaction and, and think, hey, this is going to be a big thing and it's going to change. But there are broader implications and things trend back to the norm over mm. time. I think, I think these investments as well are a – we always talk about time in the market or, or, you know, uh, you know, we're under the, we're, I think all three of us are under the impression that the best, uh, the best time to invest was yesterday, right? In the property market. And and this is the particular story for your Melbourne, Canberra, Sydney, Brisbane, Brisbane, you know, touch and go, but the three other capitals, I think that 
I think that with these these coastal holiday towns or or these investments that people are looking toward because of the pandemic or because it's running hot, I think these investments can be really tricky because it's almost timing the market. And you know, we can never time a market. You, you see, you see, as Pete to what Pete's point with vulnerability, the the market, the the trends look like this: up, down, up, down, up, down because of the cold and heat, uh, the cold and hot. Whereas, and, and same as the, the, you know, it's more of a seasonal investment. Whereas when we look at into key markets and markets that have strong economic drivers and strong um, defense mechanisms to their vulnerabilities, such as pandemics or such as uh, anything else, you know, that's when we see a market trend. We might see some correction phases, but we always see the market trending upward. And they're the markets we should be looking at. They're always, if we look at point A and point B, we're always going to get to point B. And we're, we're not saying there's going to be down phases or correction phases, but you know we're, we're always going to be trending in one position, trending in one line. Mm. Agreed. Mm. Fellas, we've spoken a lot about uh, this, this emergent trend, but I've got some client questions to run past you. Um, and then we will head to the tips and wrap it up. So this week we have a question. Let me see here. Okay, so this gentleman here, Callum from Sydney said, if you have surplus capital, should you pay off the home loan first or get another property? Now, before you answer the questions, everybody, again, this isn't financial advice. We don't have an A for sale. This is our opinion. We're talking about real estate. So uh, let's go over to Peter first. What do you think about Callum's question and what's your answer for him? And I think, Callum, every time you think about financial decisions, you've got to think of the opportunity cost and the cost of your money. So if you're going to pay down your home loan, that might be a very prudent thing for you to do. That might always be a sensible thing to pay down debt, particularly if it's not tax effective. But if you can go and reinvest that money and earn a higher rate of return than what you're paying on your mortgage, that's something that you should open your mind up to. It, it's all about having an open mind. And if, in, if you're... If you can afford another investment and you think that that investment will grow more than the 2 or 3% that you're paying on your home loan interest rate, then that's probably a wise strategy to build long-term wealth. I really like that answer. Yeah, it makes a lot same. of sense. It's a very simplistic way of thinking about it. And, and I mean, it's ultimately, as you said, it's, it's what's, what could it be doing over here versus there? Louis, does your opinion change much from that or anything? Um, yeah, add? it just comes down to, as what Pete said, your appetite for risk as well. Um, if you if you feel like you can cope and and uh, and deal with high and I will say it's high pressure situations. You know you're putting a lot of pressure on your shoulders, and that pressure might fall onto you. You know your wife or your kids or your partner or or your friends around you. So your appetite for risk and your ability to control um, control the circumstances that come and and understand the the potential consequences, but also the 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 high rewards. Then I, I would say. Um, you know, both options are both options are great. Yeah, great. I, I think Callum, it comes down to what level of debt you got. How much can you afford? Is your wife working? Not working? Are you a single man? You know, uh, what's your income stability look like? There's so so many variables because um, it's not just about investment. It is about protecting yourself as well. But then at the end of the day, if you've got 100K, you can go and get, you know, a $400,000 loan by a half a million dollar investment. And if that mark, if that property moves by ten percent, you've made fifty k. You know, this they're the simple. That's a simple math versus putting hundred k on your loan and then you know maybe saving three thousand dollars a year. 
So, you know, that's the very, very simple way of thinking about it. Again, it doesn't, it comes down to what your risk appetite's like. We don't know anything about you. So take it with a grain of salt. But if you want to know more, reach out to the team, Louis, Sam, uh, Tiffy, I'll even pick up the phone sometimes. Give us a call and reach out. Guys, uh, it's been a good episode. I really like this whole working from home. It really is a topic close to my heart because we at Wealthy are starting to look at this with serious consideration and may not go back to the office or maybe just go back in a couple of days a week. Um, Are there any passing thoughts, tidbits, tips that you want to leave our listeners and viewers? Um, I think I think the entrepreneurial spirit is back. I think that um, yeah, the end of the days of the big corporates and a few other things. I think the uh, the the big corporate firms and a few other major businesses are chasing their tail because they can't uh, you know they can't be overlooking their every employee's shoulder and counting the hours at the desk. So if there's ever a time you, you see at home and lockdown now to you know really you know, uh, kick the stone over and think of some ideas and, and, and drive those, uh, and drive those real wants in, in life and, and start a business or a few other things. I think the, uh, the cost is low, you know, it's forced, it's foreseeable to work over your laptop and no more hiring an office, hiring you know, expensive equipment. And I think that, uh, it's given an opportunity for everyone to do it. So passing thoughts, if you see at home now bored, um, you know, find that entrepreneurial spirit deep down and, you know, and get kickstarted. Pete? My final comments are you and I have spoken a lot on this podcast over the past few months and years about investments. So I'll end it with something non-investment related. Shout out to all the parents that are homeschooling out there. Um, you know, I think we'll look back at this in five, 10 years and, and ponder and, and um, maybe take more pleasure than what it was today. I think one of the really good skills that we're teaching our children is the importance of risk management. Uh, they're going to grow up having remembered the consequences and the disruption of a pandemic. Uh, and I think they're going to think about risk differently to when I grew up. I never experienced anything like this. So take it with a grain of salt. And also, if you don't have children and you're working from home and if you're isolated and you're feeling very, very lonely, shout out to you. Also, hopefully we can provide some companionship to you if you're still watching the podcast until this point. Thank you very much for giving us your attention. And uh, hanging, hang in there, guys. You know, there's a silver lining in every cloud. Um, the storm will pass and we'll, better days are ahead of us. That's a really lovely note. And I just want to say all of you out there, I like where Peter said, taking it. So I want to say all of you, be kind to yourself. Be kind to the people that you're working or that you're working with, that you're living with. Um, I, I've seen some really nice random acts of kindness. Buy your, your loved ones some flowers or send a friend some chocolates. You don't know what these little things do for people during the day. So, you know, I think that's my takeaway. If you can do something nice for someone that's you know, in your house or in your home or one of your work colleagues or something, I think go and do that. Have a lovely week. Um, and if you've enjoyed the show, subscribe, like, send to all your friends. If you have a contrarian thought, leave it in the YouTube comments. And um, we hope to see you all soon.